Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Seeing as I'm going old school, we're also going to school. I've got a whiteboard here. How many of you remember young people? This is a technique called writing that I will be using this morning. It's an old technique. I'm very old school, uh, but I want to I be able to share something with you uh, this morning. But again, I just want to say what a privilege it is to be here. Um, and uh, as I say, we pray for you guys. This, this whole idea of reach and reproduce, that's your theme for 2016. And I know that Pastor Tony and Kath and the team have been speaking a lot about discipleship. And what I believe God is doing on the planet is a call back to the foundational principles of discipleship. It's actually the only thing Jesus instructed us to do as the church is to make disciples. He didn't ask us to build the church. He actually said in Matthew 16 that he would build the church. He said in Matthew 28, you go and make disciples. I felt challenged by this over the last probably 18 to 24 months personally, um, leading Edge Church, another part of the body of Christ as we partner together in this city and across this nation. What I'm hearing is an echo of discipleship. I felt challenged by this because we were so busy building the church that we didn't seem to have enough time to make disciples. And I felt Jesus challenged me and say, well, it's, I said I would build the church. I asked you to make disciples. You make disciples, I'll build the church. And I feel like we're turning the order back around. I love what I'm hearing here and what I'm hearing at this church. And as I travel and as I speak to ministers all over the world, this cry for discipleship is exciting. Don't let anybody make you believe that the church is headed for bad days. The church is headed for its best days, its greatest days. Jesus is coming back for a beautiful and a flourishing and a growing bride. He is preparing His church for his return. Just think about this for a moment. I'm, I, I used to love maths when I was a kid, and so I, I love numbers. I'm a little bit crazy when I see numbers. And, but don't get caught up in the number itself. But Jesus himself took three years to make 12 disciples. I know he did so much more, but he took three years to make 12 disciples. Discipleship doesn't happen in a five-week course. Uh, it takes time. It's a lifestyle, and it's engaged in one another's lives. And we do discipleship 24 hours, seven days a week. This is what we're called to do. But just, just think about the number 12. We're not getting into a, into a model of 12, and we're going to get into groups of 12. It's not that concept. But just think about what Jesus showed us. He made 12 disciples and then told those 12 disciples to go make disciples. So he didn't just make disciples. He made disciple makers which is really the key. That's the multiplier effect. Now, just check this out. Don't do this now, but those of you that have your smartphones or even a calculator, that's something also from the old age. There's calculators. Um, if you do 12 times 12, if 12 people make 12 people each and we multiply that and do that step eight times, just eight times, go to your calculator, you will find that we will reach 5.179 billion people. Jesus' model for discipleship actually works. We're so busy trying to reach the world and how are we going to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth? And yet he's saying, I'm not asking you to go and make crowds. I asked you to go make disciples who can make disciples who can make disciples. That's why I'm excited about the vision of this house because the call to reach and reproduce people who can reach and reproduce people who can reach and reproduce people. We can actually see hand in hand across this city. We can actually see the city of churches become the city of the church again, where we can actually take... A city, we could take a nation. Now you might go, 
Wow, that's a, that's a big call. That's actually God's plan for this city. God's plan for this city is that we would take it together. So I'm very excited this morning to be able to share very much a discipleship message with you. I have hundreds of messages I could share, but even yesterday afternoon when I got the phone call, I began to pray and began to think, and I thought, this is the message I want to share with you today. The title of my message is No-Go Zones. No-Go Zones. What are the no-go zones that God has and wants to address uh, in our life. We have an incredible opportunity to see days we would never have seen. The pattern for Christianity is being restored. So let's just go back just briefly to the early church. In the book of Acts, you will read um, in Acts chapter 2 where the apostle Peter shares his first message in the early church's birth. He makes this statement in Acts chapter 2 verse 36. He makes this statement. He says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, to be both. That's critical. If you've got that underlined, that to be both Lord and Messiah. Now, because I'm going old school according to Laura, and I'm going old school according to... We're going to go old school according to some language as well this morning. I'm going to share some words like lordship, discipleship, uh, things like justification, sanctification, glorification. I'll go there in a moment. Now, it's not going to be a deep theological teaching. Just need you to stay with me because at the end of this, you're going to realize the power of what Peter was saying when he said he made this Jesus to be both Lord and Messiah. We've got to understand that it's both Lord and Messiah. Jesus wasn't just called to be our Savior. He came to be our Lord. Now, the word Lord in the New Testament is the Greek word kidios, which means to have supreme authority. What he's saying is that Jesus didn't just come to save us. He came to be the supreme, the ultimate authority. Now, what makes Jesus the ultimate authority? If you're visiting, you've never been to a church like this before. Maybe you've never read the Bible, never been to church before, and you're in this environment. What is it about Jesus? Is he just a man amongst other men? No, Jesus is the only one with an empty tomb. Jesus is the only one that came, died, and rose again. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God who put on flesh, came, died, and rose again, and conquered death so we could have victory, but not just so that He would be our Saviour, but so that He would be our Lord. Now, I grew up in, a, uh, in an evangelical church. I grew up in a great church, and a bit more traditional, a bit more uh, restricted, a, a whole heap of laws and do's and don'ts. I grew up in that kind of church. Uh, but I remember people teaching on this idea of Jesus being Lord. Some of you might remember the old song, He is Lord, He is Lord, He is risen from the dead, and these are all the people that remember these kind of platforms. Can I get an amen from all the old schoolers in the house? Come on. Okay. I'm going to justify this, Laura. By the end of today, I'm going to justify this platform. (laughs) That's the last time we're going to refer to you, Laura. 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 (laughs) But this concept of lordship actually made me feel like it was God lording it over me. It was almost like it was a negative term, an ugly term, like a restrictive term, like God wanted to restrict me. And if you stay with me to the end of this, you've got no choice anyway, we've locked the doors. But no, we, have, we haven't. If you're visiting, we haven't done that. Um, but if you do get up out of your seat, security will come and get you. But this idea of, of lordship, if you stay with me by the end, you will realise that lordship is the greatest gift. What Jesus declare, what uh, Peter declares about Jesus, about Him being both Saviour and Lord, is the thing that will be the multiplier effect in your life and in my life. I've realised something fresh about lordship. And as we reach and reproduce, as we make disciples, these are the things we need to understand so that when we're engaging with people and reaching them and reproducing Christ in them, we've got to reproduce in them not only the good news of Him being our 
Saviour, but the great hope of knowing Him as our Lord, knowing Him as the ultimate authority. The, the Thomas, Thomas, one of our great disciples, we call him Doubting Thomas, but I don't know if I would have probably been like Thomas. I don't know if many of us in this room would have been like Thomas. The thought that someone would put on flesh, the thought that God would put on flesh, the thought that he would die and rise again three days later, something they had never seen before. This Thomas is struggling with this and Jesus died and Jesus rose again. And we read in John chapter 20, verse 24, it says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not, the, was not with the others when Jesus came. So this is after his resurrection. They told him, we have seen the, now they're referring to him as Lord. We have seen the Lord. We've seen, they're using this word kidios. We've seen the ultimate authority, the one that has conquered everything. We've seen him and that means he's risen. That means he's not just a person amongst other people or a prophet amongst other prophets. We've seen the Lord. We've seen the one that is the ultimate authority. But he replied, I won't believe it until I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my finger into them and place my hand in the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. What I love about Jesus is even in our doubt, he continues to pursue us. If you're doubting today, don't feel guilty. But Jesus is still pursuing you today. You might have doubted him again and again and again. He's still pursuing you today. And he's still pursuing Thomas. So eight days later, disciples were together. And this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas. In other words, look, peace for all of you, but I'm here for Thomas today. I, just, just for one. I'm, I'm, I appeared just for Thomas. I want to talk to Thomas. And he says to Thomas, put your finger here. And look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Listen to Thomas's response. My Lord and my God. He discovers something about lordship in that moment. Thomas explained, then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Christianity is about having a faith to believe that Jesus is our saviour and having a surrender to Jesus as our Lord. It's actually both. We can't have one without the other. We've got to make sure that when we're ministering and when we're preaching and, and even beyond preaching, let me say the most salvations that are going to happen at Victory Church are not going to happen on a Sunday. They're actually going to happen on a Monday to Saturday when you're out in your marketplace, when you're out in the workplace, when you're out in the school, when you're out in the university. God doesn't switch off when you leave this building. God actually wants to equip you and empower you to use you to go into your marketplace, to go into where God positioned you specifically so that you can begin to minister so that people will get saved seven days a week, not just one day a week, that God would use you. God would dare to use you and me. I can't believe that God's using me. I still get overwhelmed that I'm even here with a microphone. But God would use you and God would use me so that we would bring people to Christ. We've got to have an understanding of this so that we don't bring people to Jesus just as Saviour. We've got to bring people to Jesus as Lord. He's actually looking for Lordship. He's not looking for part of your life. He's looking for all of your life. Now stay with me because that's not you losing out. You benefit when you give it to Him. Let me just ask you. I ask very obvious questions. I'm a very simple person. That's why we have a very simple church. right? Who's going to do a better job of my life? Me or God? That's not a trick question, by the way. <laughs> of course God's going to do a better job of my life. So the more I give to him of my life, the more my life is going to make much of his name. And so it's actually about giving all of ourselves, and there's a multiplier effect that I'll speak about in a moment, through the power of lordship. So Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. It's by declaring that Jesus is Lord. It's by making Him the ultimate authority in your life. That's where you begin to reach and reproduce is actually to say, God, I want You to be the ultimate authority in my life. I don't want You just as Saviour. I want You as my Lord. So we have these terms that we use that I spoke about a little bit earlier and I wanna put them up because they're long words and I wanna sound intelligent with you this morning. But we have these, these words, justification, sanctification and glorification. Really simple words when you understand it. Let me simplify it right down. There is a lot of complexity behind them, but let me simplify it right down. Justification is when we first come and encounter Jesus. It's, it's wonderful news. It's what we call good news. Justification, simplest way to remember it, just as if I had never sinned. It's coming into the presence of God and receiving Him as Savior. It's not about me earning my way to Jesus. It's about the fact that Jesus made His way to me. I find that overwhelming. I find that it's outrageous. You might go, but Jonathan, I, everything we do is meant to be earned. That's why we call it good news. That's why we sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He came and justified me. He came, it's a legal term, where I am let off for the punishment that I should have endured. He took the punishment for me and justified me at that point all my sins are gone and I am right with God. But this is where we, we get it wrong because we stop at the point of justification and say, well, it's all good. I'll just wait until I go to heaven now. But there's actually a process of sanctification. Now, if you've been in church for longer than five minutes, you'll realise that there's a lot of people that are justified that still got a lot of issues. And if you haven't met them yet, spend five minutes with me after the meeting and you'll realise there's still people who have got a lot of issues in their life, right? It's not that our, all of our issues are gone, it's that all of our sin is gone. We still struggle with our flesh, struggle with our ideas, struggle with our thought process. We struggle with so many things. And that's what we call this process. This is where you and I, spend most of our Christian life is in this time of sanctification. It's the pro sanctification is becoming more like Christ. The intention is that you and I will look more like Jesus and less like ourselves. I'd like to think that the person that I am today, man, I'm, I, I make so many mistakes even today. And I look back over the years and I've made so many errors, but in His grace, He justified me. And hopefully over the time that I am walking with Him, I am becoming more like Jesus. I'm not there yet, but I become Become more like Jesus. Glorification is the ultimate arrival point. I think we started the year speaking about the same thing and that's eternity. Glorification is when ultimately we're outside of this struggle, outside of this flesh, outside of this world and ultimately in eternity glorified with God. That's the hope that we have. And I'm looking forward to the day when, when I speak about eternity in churches, including my own church, when I speak about eternity, that people would be on their feet cheering about eternity because that's actually what it's all about. Right? It's this getting to this place of glorification, but this is where we spend most of our time. And this is sanctification, is where the struggle predominantly happens. And that's where lordship exists, where we allow Jesus to be Lord over our lives so that He can make us more like Him, that we would take on His identity. That's why the term Christian was very rarely used in the scriptures and it was very rarely used by the person themselves. It was used by others in reference to the people saying they are a Christ one. They look like people who have been with Christ. They were unlearned men, but they had been with 
Christ. It was others referring to them. It's people looking in on yours and my life as we go on this journey of discipleship and saying, I see more of Christ in them and less of them in them. And we're all on that journey. And this is why we need lordship. Theologians and hearers of the faith over many, many years have fought for this concept of lordship. This is not a new age battle. This is not a new era battle. This is not a 2016 battle. This has been a battle throughout history of people not wanting to surrender. As a matter of fact, the very nature of sin is a desire for equality with God. We don't want to surrender. We don't want to come under the lordship of Jesus. I thank God for the body of Christ where we can agree together to come under the lordship of Jesus. This is what theologian John Stott says. He says, it is as unbiblical as it is unrealistic to divorce the lordship from the saviourhood of Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and saviour, Jesus Christ. And saving faith is commitment to him who is both son of God and saviour of men. J.I. Packer says this, The error which we might call only believism, which would leave sinners supposing that all they have to do is to trust Christ as a sin bearer, not realising that they must also deny themselves and enthrone him as their Lord. It's a constant battle. Because we love the idea of receiving Jesus, but we're challenged by the idea of surrendering to him. If anybody's honest in this place and you're anything like me, lordship, until you get a full revelation of it, is a challenging thought. Can anybody agree with me in this place? But when we understand the power of lordship, and the multiplier effect and the blessing of Lordship will go looking for parts of our life that we can hand to Him, realising the more we give to Him, the more He will multiply it and put it back in our hands. If you have your Bibles with, me, with you, turn to Matthew chapter 19. That was just my introduction because I'm on holidays. Um, I'm not intending to finish anytime soon. So we, that was, that was, did you like the introduction? I'm joking. If you, again, there's people, okay, that's it. I'm going. Security. No, no, no. Matthew 19, verse 16. And this might seem like a strange scripture to go to when we talk about lordship. But I want you to catch us something here. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 says this. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, you know, just pause right there. You're already in trouble. When you're asking this question, what thing must I do? That's the very language of religion. What must I do? How do I earn this? How do I get this pay packet of eternal life? How do I win this over? What do I need to do? What are the list of do's and don'ts? What are the 613 laws that you have in the Old Testament? What, how can I fulfill all of them? He's, he's asked the wrong. I mean, he, imagine, imagine realizing later you asked Jesus this question. What must I do? What good deeds must I do to have eternal life? Well, why ask me what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which one, the man said. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I've obeyed all these commands. The young man replied, what else must I do? And Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven then come, follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. I've never seen anyone walk away from Jesus happy. Never seen anyone walk away from Jesus and go into a better life. 
And he said, anyone reject the Lordship of Jesus? And you might go, but Jonathan, this has got nothing to do with Lordship. This whole Scripture has got to do with giving and money and finance. Now, I actually want to submit to you that this has less to do with money and more to do with Lordship because Jesus is addressing something very deep in this Scripture. Before we're tempted to beat this rich young ruler up, by the way, if, you, if you're sitting there going, yeah, I'm much better than him. Before we're tempted to beat him up, this young man was keeping these commandments. He was a noble man. He was a respected man. As a matter of fact, if you read on just a few verses later, the disciples are going, well, if he can't be saved, who can be saved? He's a, he's a good guy. He's a young guy. He's a rich guy. He's a ruler. He's moral. Come on, girls. This is the ultimate catch right here in Scripture. If he was part of this church, come on, right? He's got his life in order. He's not committing adultery. He honours, he loves his mum and dad. He's a mummy's boy and he's making money, right? He's doing so well. He's a ruler, he's moral, he's good, and he's looking how to do even more. Come on, this is the kind of guy we'd put on platforms and say, you've got it nailed, man. Teach some people this. And the disciples are going, well, what do we need to do? How to, if this guy can't make it, this story is not about money. This story is not even about commandments. At this point, this story is all about lordship. Because for Jesus to be Lord, he must have an all access pass. There can be no, no go zones in your life. Just have a look for a moment to this scripture again. This is why I think we should pause. Can I encourage you when you're, when you're reading the Bible, just pause for long enough. Don't just glance over, pause for long enough. He asked Jesus, which commandments should I keep? Did you notice that Jesus only shared six out of ten commandments? He left four out. He, he shares six out of ten commandments because six out of the ten commandments are about our relationship person to person. The four out of ten commandments that Jesus left out were all the relationship to do with person to God. Jesus said, you've got this all down packed. You don't commit adultery, you don't steal, you don't murder, you honour your mother and father. You're a good person here. You don't lie, you don't cheat. You're, you got this, but what's missing in your life is this. And so Jesus doesn't finish the six and then go, well, let me give you the other four. Jesus says, let me wrap all of the other four into one thing. You've got a Lord in your life that's not me. And that Lord is money. Now, see, this is why this is not a money issue. It was a money issue for Him. What would Jesus have said to me had I fulfilled the six commandments? What would He have asked me to surrender to Him had He been speaking to me? Because the four that He leaves out of this, you shall have no other God before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain and remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's all about our worship to God, the four that Jesus left out. And He says, the issue that you have is that I'm not Lord of your life. The issue that you have is that you've got this all worked out but you haven't got this all worked out. You haven't surrendered everything. Matter of fact, let me just tap into that very thing. Because if I'm not Lord, something is. I'm just going to do it. Can we do an experiment? I'm not a scientist. I'm a hopeless scientist. I was hopeless at school. But if we could just do an experiment, if you could be absolutely legitimate with me, if you're serious about taking something away today from this place, and just bow your heads, close your eyes with me just for a moment. I'm not going to do anything spooky if you're visiting us. You might be wondering what. What's he going to do? I just want you to just for a moment, just zero in on what I'm sharing. And I want you to be honest. I'm not going to ask you. I'm not going to pull you out of a crowd. I'm not going to do any of that. I just want you to bow your heads, close your eyes just for a moment. And if you are serious about walking with Jesus, you're saying, Jesus, I want you to have my entire life because I feel that that's the spirit on this house. We want to give you our everything. 
If you're saying, Jesus, if you could just, you don't have to speak it out loud or just, just you personally. And I'm taking my time because I want you to just push everything aside in your mind. And I just want you to think about this for a moment. If you say, Jesus, you have everything. I will give you my everything. You have all access pass to every part of my life. If you would just pray that prayer. If there is something in your life that is Lord, that Jesus wants to address, it's the very thing you're refusing to give him right now. There are things that will come to mind. That relationship, that unforgiveness, that bitterness, that job, that boyfriend, that girlfriend, that circumstance, that place you're not prepared to go, that mission you're not prepared to fulfill, that place you're not prepared to serve, that thing you're not prepared to surrender. See, what happens is when we, like this man, approach Jesus in this way, where we say, Jesus, I will give you every part of my life. I want you to have every part of my life. Jesus will always go at your no-go zone, not to take it from you, but to get it from you so that he can give it back, multiplied, pressed down, shaken, and overrunning and overflowing in your life. While you've got your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to remember the things that Jesus is now saying to you. How about that? How about that? This is, a, this is a great, just stay right where you are. This is a great activity to do every day, actually. Say, so God, is there anything else? I find myself constantly doing this because I want to I give him every part of my life. I find myself constantly saying, Jesus, is there anything else that I haven't surrendered to you? Is there anything else that I haven't said sorry for? Is there anything else I haven't put right? Is there anything else I haven't given to you wholeheartedly? Is it my family? Is it my children? Is it my future? Is it my finances? What is it that I haven't given you access to? Because I want to give it all to you. Father, I pray, just in the next few moments, as I bring this message to a close, I pray that those very areas that you are specifically ministering into right now, I pray that there would be freedom in this house. I pray that there would be faith in this house. I pray that every person would trust your character and nature and would get a revelation of your lordship to be willing to hand it all over to you, knowing that you will hand it all over, pressed down, multiplying and overflowing, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just lift your heads, your eyes to me. He goes to those places that are our no-go zones. It's our careers, it's our relationships, it's unforgiveness, it's injustice, it's pain, it's finance, it's time, it's leisure, it's leadership, it's accountability, maybe it's leisure. I'm not prepared to give up my Saturday afternoons. I'm not prepared to give up my Sunday nights. There are spaces and places that God wants to inhabit. He says, you want me to have everything? Then I'm going to ask for everything. But I'm only going to ask it so I can give it back and bless you with it. Anything we give to God will be returned in multiplied blessings. Now watch this, Matthew 19. Let me just read on a few verses later. So they had this interaction with this rich young ruler. The rich young ruler walks away, sad, doesn't address it. Jesus doesn't follow him up. Did you notice? Because he says, what's the point of me following up someone who's not surrendered? They don't realize who I am. They don't know me. So he lets him go and the disciples go, well, what are we going to do? And listen to Peter's response. It's always Peter in verse 27. Then Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Come on, that's real. I reckon so many of us have prayed that prayer. I've said that. I've given you everything. Like, is there anything in it for us? Now listen to Jesus' response. 
Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Lots of history here. It's in verse 29. And everyone. You know, that includes when Jesus was saying this, he was thinking of you. Everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. This is the bonus. He's saying, if you would just get this, Jesus is saying, if you would just get lordship, if you would just give it all to me, you don't realize that I'd give it back to you a hundred times over. I'm not looking to take from your life. I'm looking to multiply your life. But I'll never take it from you. I want you to give it to me. God is not a God that will pry things out of our hands. He's a God that would take things that we surrender to Him and multiply them and bless them and put them straight back in our hands because we're surrendered to his lordship lordship is something of blessing now i could take you from cover to cover through the scriptures and show you that every single character from genesis to revelation went through a lordship conversation with jesus and every single one of them that said yes to jesus every single one of them received a multiplied blessing i could take us back to the father of our faith abraham if you don't know these stories if you've never read the bible Abraham is a historical figure we refer to as the father of our faith. Abraham, at 99 years old, and I have to explain myself. Let me just pause here for a second. The reason why I constantly refer to people who may be here for the first time is because I remember someone preaching in our church a number of years ago. It was about 11, 12 years ago. And preached about Abraham who couldn't have children at the age of 99. Couldn't have children, he and his wife. Couldn't have children. And went on to preach the message, assuming everybody in the room knew who Abraham was. At the end of the meeting, this particular new person went to our welcome lounge, went to our space like you have here in the cafe and went and met some new people. And they asked him, they said, what do you think of the meeting? He said, I've never been in a place like this. I didn't realise church would be like this. Realised there'd be a rock band and screens and lights and it was amazing. And there was, I don't know how to describe what I was feeling, but it was amazing. And then the person, one of our, our, new, our new people's pastors, who's still our new people's pastor today, Karen, she, she asked this man, she goes, and what did you think about the message that God spoke? He goes, that was unbelievable. I was gripped from beginning to end. I thought I'd be bored out of my brains. I was gripped from beginning to end. He goes, and you know what was amazing? I never knew Abraham Lincoln couldn't have children until he was 100 years old. <laughs> True story. Because you're referring to a historical figure that you assume everybody knows. This was not Abraham Lincoln. This is Abraham, the father of our faith. The father of our faith, who at 99 years old can't have children. God says, I'm going to give you children. Not only that, they're going to outnumber the descendants, outnumber the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. And I mean, imagine, no, no don't imagine actually. It's actually a horrible picture. <laughs> but at the age of 99 and 100, having a child. And then in Genesis 22, Where does God go? He goes to Abraham's no-go zone. Because God sometimes will give you a promise and then He'll say, now, were you prepared to give me that promise back? And He went to His promise. He went to the thing that He treasured. And He said, I want you to take your son, your only son. Now, Abraham had another son, Ishmael, but God only speaks to the things he births, not the things we birth. And so he birthed. Isaac, and so he says to Isaac, he says to Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, I want you to take him to the mountain and I want you to sacrifice him there. 
He goes to Abraham's no-go zone. What does Abraham do, the father of our faith? Because he trusts in the character of God. He rises early in the morning. He takes Isaac, as painful as it would be. He gets to the bottom of the mountain. He says to his servants, wait here. And he says, and we will go to the mountain. Me and Isaac will go to the mountain and worship. What we call sacrifice, Abraham called worship. And he took him to the mountain. And he gets right to that point. Now, when God called Abraham the first time, he only uses his name once. Abraham only had to be told once to obey. But he had to call him twice to stop him. He was so committed to following through. He has the knife in the end. He's ready to take Isaac's life. And he says, Abraham, Abraham, twice. He says, stop. Now I know. And watch this. Genesis chapter 22. Listen to the language in verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your own son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. Abraham, you were willing to make me Lord even over your promise and you made me Lord over your promise and what I'm gonna do now is I'm gonna bless you beyond even what you can count because Lordship isn't about subtraction. Lordship is about multiplication because God says, give it to me and watch what I'll do with this. He does it over and over again. He asked Moses to go back to Egypt. Now, if you don't know the story of Moses, You've at least probably watched the movie if you were as ancient as a whiteboard and a platform. <laughs> and he asked Moses to go back to Egypt. Now, if you know Moses' story, Moses grew up in Egypt. He wasn't an Egyptian, but he grew up in Egypt. And then at a moment where he, he murdered a man, he runs, he runs to the wilderness. He gets away from Egypt. He gets away from his space of fear. He gets away from his place of disappointment. He gets away from that space and he runs away and he's 40 years in the wilderness and God calls Moses. Where does he call Moses? There's an entire planet to call him. Where does he call Moses? He calls Moses right back to Egypt because God's intent wasn't just to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. His intent was to deliver Moses from Egypt so that Egypt wouldn't have a grip on his life. And there are things in people's lives that has a grip on you that even while we were praying before, it's a promise or a thing of the past or a disappointment or a fear or a doubt or an uncertainty and God saying, if you would just give it to me, I will deliver you from that thing and not only deliver you, but deliver thousands around you. Not only Moses got delivered, but millions got delivered from Israel, if we, from Egypt, if we would just surrender. One man surrendered to the Lordship, an entire nation got set free. What could a room like this do if we surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus? What could a nation look like if we joined hand in hand across this city? Got rid of our logos and our labels and our egos and our things and our denominations and our concepts and our ideas and disappointments and frustrations and just joined hand in hand and said, God, we'll be the people that are surrendered to you. Use us and multiply us and set a nation free. He always goes through our no-go zone. I can accelerate forward. Maybe if I could have someone on the keyboard, that would be great because it looked like I'm finishing. That'd be amazing. We go forward. I could go scripture for scripture. I could go David. I could go Esther. I could go Naomi. I could go all the way through scripture now. And you will see a constant demand for lordship. And every time they said yes to God, they never lost out. Every time they said yes to God, it was multiplied blessing. Fast forward, get to Luke chapter 5, and you've got the 
the man Peter, who I relate so much to. I want to give my everything, but don't realize how fragile I am sometimes. When I do things in my own strength, I make a mess of it. But when I surrender to God, it's amazing. And this Peter in Luke chapter 5 is told all night, caught nothing. This is a commercial fisherman. He's told all night, he's caught nothing. And Jesus decides to get in his boat. Isn't it interesting what Jesus chooses? It says in Luke 5, there was an entire crowd and they'd gathered to hear the word. Don't you think Jesus would be attracted by the crowd? Don't you think Jesus goes, well, that's what I'm attracted to? No, go, go to Luke 5. It's an entire crowd waiting to hear the word and Jesus is drawn his attention to some men who were washing their nets who had parked their boats, who told all night, who caught nothing. If you feel like you've got nothing to give, you know that you are perfectly poised for Jesus to enter your life? Because <laughs> he doesn't share space with our pride. When you feel insufficient and empty and you go, I've got nothing to give, God goes, great, now I'll get all the glory. Whatever I do through your life, you know I'll get all the glory. And he goes, great, now there's a perfect boat. Would we have picked that boat? I don't think I would have. Jesus picks that boat. I'm going to get into that empty boat. He gets into Peter's boat. Now, this is Jesus, son of a carpenter. He spent 30 years as a carpenter, not as a fisherman. He made boats probably, but he definitely didn't use them to fish. And he gets into the boat of a fisherman. And he says, I want you to drop your nets one more time. Yeah, God gets involved in your life. And you go, yeah, but you just don't understand, God. What do you know about my circumstance? What do you know about my business? What do you know about universities these days? What do you know about high schools? I want to influence a high school. What do you know about high schools? God gets involved because he knows everything. And he says to Peter, just drop the nets. Now you understand, they've told all night, caught nothing. These are commercial fishermen. This means they don't eat if they don't catch. And we're not talking about, you know, what we do out on a jetty or out on the beach, you know, throw a line out because we're on holidays. We're talking about these guys worked hard. I don't know if you've ever seen these commercial fishing shows, but it's quite dangerous and hard work. Maybe you will enjoy the next piece of fish you'll ever eat. It's hard work. They've toiled all night, caught nothing. So can you imagine the disappointment of feeling like I've worked hard? I did everything you asked me to do. I went where you wanted me to go. I'm trying to provide for my family. I've got nothing. Have you ever noticed that Jesus picks the worst time? Have you noticed his timing is kind of off? But wait until tonight. Wait until we've gone and had a sleep. Wait until we've gone and had a rest. He just decides, no, I'm going to get in your boat at the worst possible time because I want to know whether I'm Lord. I, want, I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want you to obey me when it's convenient. I don't want you to obey me when it's comfortable. I don't want you to obey me when all your ducks are lined up in order. No, no, no. I'm actually going to get in when you're tired, when you're weary, when you're exhausted, when you've told all night, when you've caught nothing, when you feel like a failure, when you feel like you're a disappointment, when you feel like nothing's working. And Jesus says, let me get into that boat. And if you would just trust me, if you would just surrender to me, even though it doesn't feel like it, even though it's overwhelming, even though you feel worn down, just let me get into that boat and watch what I will do. Peter says, well, we've toiled all night. We've caught nothing. It's okay to be honest with God. I feel like I'm getting nowhere in my situation. I feel like I'm overwhelmed. I feel like nothing's working, God. As long as you go to the end of the sentence. But if you say so. Oh, man, I, I, there are hundreds, but if you say so's in this room. That if you would just say, but if you say so. 
I'll, I'll drop the net one more time. He drops the net. The catch is so overwhelming that even his friends get blessed by his obedience. Remember Abraham? Descendants multiplied. Moses? Thousands, millions of people set free. Peter? His friends. So overwhelming was the catch. The same water. Same space, the same city, the same house, the same family, the same circumstance, the same scenario. But this time, because of lordship, multiplied catch. This is the genius of lordship. So when we go right back to the early church, and Peter says, he's made him to be both Lord and Messiah, that was good news. Jesus didn't come just to save your life. He came to multiply your life. He came to bless your life. He came to improve your life. He came to take your nothingness and turn it into something if you would just surrender. And there is an enemy that wants you to throw in the towel and say no more. But he's saying, if you would just let me get into your boat, get into your situation, it might look like it's empty and broken and worn and finished. And I feel like I'm tired and I'm exhausted and I'm done. But Jesus, if you say so. That kind of surrender to lordship changes everything. That's the multiplier effect. And it's a journey of faith to trust the character and nature of God. Lisa, I want to say something to you if that's okay. I didn't intend to do this, but the last 10 minutes of my preaching, I've been fighting up here. Just bear with me, church, just for a moment. I've been fighting up here. So some of you don't, if you've ever preached before, you realize that you can be speaking and having another conversation in your mind at exactly the same time. I don't know how it works, whether there's two brains up there or it's supernatural. I don't know how it works, but anybody that's ever done this knows this happens. And for the last 10 minutes, I felt God say, encourage Lisa, encourage Lisa, encourage Lisa. And I was wondering whether I would do it after, but I just feel I need to do it now. Lisa, we don't understand. And I know we've spoken a lot about it. But your yes is going to trigger a multiplied blessing. We don't understand, but it's going to trigger a multiplied blessing. You've said yes to God over and over and over again. And the fact that you're sitting here is your yes again. And God has a multiplied blessing that we can't see right now. And you've toiled and toiled and toiled and toiled and feel like I'm exhausted and I'm done. But Jesus just wants you to know he's right there with you. He's right there with you, Lisa. He's right there. Could you just bow your heads with me just for a moment? Father, I... I pray for Lisa right now. I thank you for a beautiful family. I thank you for her children. Father, we don't understand everything. What we do know is that you know beyond our now. Father, I pray that you would give Lisa the strength. I pray that through her children, there would be a multiplication that is so innumerable, hard to measure. I pray that you would give us supernatural strength, supernatural favor in every single area of her life. I thank you, Father, for what you're about to do. 
we entrust ourselves to you. I pray, Father, that as Lisa walks into the same boat, the same scenario that seems so empty and uncertain, I pray that she would so experience the supernatural hand of God that just like Peter, she would find herself falling to her knees afresh, declaring this has to be the wonders of God only that can do this. Father, I pray in this moment that you would strengthen her, yes. Bless her, yes. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just while... In this moment, I had so much more I wanted to say, but I don't need to say any more in this moment. When we know the character of God, in Psalm 139, the psalmist David says, Search my heart, O God. If you go home and read Psalm 139, it's because the psalmist David says, You know when I get up, you know when I go to bed. When I run away and when I hide, you're there. Even in darkness, darkness is not darkness to you, the psalmist said. You're there because you're the God of light and you know everything and you wanna bless me and bless me innumerably. And if in this place, just in the next few moments, there would be someone in this place that would just be willing to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'm gonna be courageous enough to say yes. It's one thing to say yes to a preacher, but it's not me you're responding to. There's a God in heaven that's saying, would you give me that disappointment? Would you give me that fear? Would you give me that uncertainty? Would you give me that future? Would you give me that finance? Would you give me that career? Would you hand over and let go of that relationship? Would you let go of that unforgiveness or that disappointment or that bitterness? If you would just give it to me, the Word of the Lord to you is, I will bless it and I will multiply it in a way that you would never understand because He was made to be both your Saviour and your Lord. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 